Now tonight I want us to look at the cross. And of course, there are many mentions of the cross in Scripture. To my knowledge, there are 28 mentions of the cross in the New Testament. And quite often, it is brought to our attention when we celebrate the Lord's Supper at the communion service. So this evening, I want to bring before you uh, three scriptures in the main, which highlight the cross. We will see the cross of Jesus. We will see the cross of Christ. And we will see the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes I hear some people refer to the cross of Calvary. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that is not a scriptural term. It is not called that anywhere in our Bible. But we know that the cross was on Calvary's mount. And of course, the most important aspect of the cross is the one who was crucified upon it. He was crucified upon it in order that we might have eternal life. So the first thing we're going to see is the cross historically. The cross of history, if you like. Please turn to the Gospel of John chapter 19. The Gospel of John chapter 19. And we will commence reading of verse 23 just down to uh, 25 or so. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, He said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. And we know that God will add a blessing to the reading of his own word. The first thing we're going to look at, as I said, is the cross historically. We've just read about it in John chapter 19, which says, neither stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. Four women. And I'll explain that as we go along. Okay, here we see that the cross is called the cross of Jesus. And these women are mentioned who stood by the cross, a group of perhaps four women, noticed by the Holy Spirit and highlighted in the Word of God for all eternity. Now let me say this, folks. We need to praise God for the women. Praise God for the ladies. Praise God for our sisters in Christ who, as it were, stand by the cross of Jesus in these days. Now, there is no doubt that these, let's say, four women have been drawn to the cross by their affectionate devotion to the one who was hanging on the center cross. It tells us in Mark chapter 15, verses 40 and 41. You can turn there. Mark chapter 15, verse 40 and 41. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, 
and Mary the mother of James the less, and Jose, and Siloam, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him, and ministered unto him, and many other women, which came up with him unto Jerusalem. Now these women, who were at the cross, they did not try to hide themselves. They did not try to run away like many other disciples. They did not shy away and pretend that they did not know him. Now we know that at one stage, I've just read, they were standing at a distance. They were standing afar off. Mark chapter 15 and verse 40. But they came closer. John chapter 19 verse 25 tells us, And there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and so forth. Close enough to hear the words of our Lord from the cross. Above the the din and the noise of the crowds. You can imagine what that would have been like. It was a time of celebration. There was thieves. There was others being crucified along with our Lord. There would have been lots of people around. Screaming and shouting abuse and so forth. And yet these four women were there. And they could hear the Saviour Speak from the cross. Okay, so they stood by the cross of Jesus. They were identifying themselves with their Lord. Now, Pastor Gavin, last Wednesday evening, was speaking about the servants and the masters, and he was using the scripture from Exodus 21. We can turn there. Exodus 21, verses 5 to 7. But here... We see the servant of the master plainly say, I love my master. Then the master bores a hole in his ear with an awl. And in doing this, he was identifying with the servant and the servant with the master forever. It was an identification saying that he belonged to me. And folks, these four women were identifying with their Lord. They were identifying with their Lord and Master, and it is recorded in the eternal Word of God forever. Praise God for the women. They stood by the cross of Jesus. The question is, where do you stand? Where do you stand in these days? Obadiah, and I've quoted this verse many times, but Obadiah verse 11 says, In that day when thou stoodest on the other side, thou wast as one of them. So where do you stand in these days? Now the words, the cross of Jesus, emphasizes, if you like, the reality of the cross. And as such it speaks to us of the cross historically. History. And it's here that we see these four women showing support for our Lord Jesus Christ. Even, even in his dying moments. And no doubt, there was sorrow. No doubt, there was sadness. And to me, it's a picture of sympathy and empathy. Sympathy and empathy. Now I'll explain the difference between those two words. Sympathy is when you really feel for them and are sorry for what they are experiencing. It is to have compassion on them. Sympathy. Empathy, on the other hand, well, empathy goes that little bit further, if you like. When you as it were, enter into their pain. It's the ability to sense other people's emotions and other people's pain. And to me, there was sympathy and empathy at the cross with these four women. And these four women were certainly going through 
of these emotions, there's no doubt about it, as they stood there on the place of a skull. Folks, this is real. This is actual history. This is the cross historically. And we see these women, as it were, showing sympathy and empathy. Now let's turn to Luke 23 and verse 27. This gives us a little bit more details regarding the human emotions. And this is recorded by, uh, let's call him Dr. Luke, the apostle, as it were, Luke. And here he is. And verse 27 it says, And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. In other words, they were weeping and crying. They were showing sympathy and empathy. Now, we do not have time to go into the details regarding all these four women. They are mentioned at the cross. There were others there as well. But, but these four are especially mentioned by John. Firstly, there was his mother, Mary. Now, folks, you and I, we cannot imagine how she might have felt. She stood there, gazing upon her holy, perfect son, who was suffering for crimes that he did not do. And she stood there by the cross. Then there was Mary Magdalene, who was several times found at Jesus' feet. She washed his feet with her tears and dried it with her hair. She poured on the ointment. She was there again at his feet at the cross. His mother's sister. Now who was his mother's sister? Some would say, well, it was Mary, the wife of Cleophas. But this would mean that there was two sisters called Mary. This would mean that we take the comma out of John 19, verse 25. And it would read this way. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus' his mother, comma. And his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, comma. And Mary Magdalene. But when you compare scripture with scripture, in Mark chapter 15 and verse 40, other women's names are mentioned as being at the cross. But we do not know Mary's sister's name because the Holy Spirit records just that at least three Marys were there at the cross. His mother, Mary. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the wife of Cleophas. So whether you see four women at the cross or three women at the cross, we know that three were definitely mentioned in John 19.25, maybe even perhaps four. But as far as our study is concerned today, it's not really that important. I just thought I would highlight highlight that to you. But what is important? That one of the women is called Mary, the wife of Cleophas. Now we know why Mary, the mother of Jesus, is mentioned. Uh, We know why Mary Magdalene is mentioned. Mary, the wife of Cleophas. Now the Holy Spirit has taken great care to record the detail that Mary, the wife of Cleophas, was there. And I believe there is a reason for that. Mary, his mother, well, uh, that's a no-brainer. That's no surprise. To us, she was there. Mary Magdalene, again, she followed the Lord wherever, everywhere he went. So why 
is Mary the wife of Cleophas, specially mentioned. Well, as I've said and I emphasize, in John 19.25, the Holy Spirit takes great care to highlight that one of these women standing by the cross of Jesus was Mary the wife of Cleophas. Then in Luke 23, verse 55 to 56, it tells us that the women came to the sepulchre and beheld how his body was laid. And in verse 56, it says this, And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandments. Then chapter 24, verse 1 says this, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women... They, the women, came to the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And then verses 2 and 3 goes on to say, They saw the stone rolled away, and they went into the sepulchre, found him not the body of the Lord. They didn't find the Lord's body. Then, when you get down to you know, Luke 24, or Luke 23 and verse 13, I just turned to that, Luke 20, actually 24 and verse 13, it says this. And behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furrows. And behold, two of them. Well, which two? Which two in the Bible is the Bible talking about? Uh, so often, you know, folks, and we're going to be very careful with this. So often I hear these two, let's call them disciples. It says two of them. These two disciples described as two men. These two men. But I cannot accept that. The Bible says two of them. Two disciples. Two of his followers, whatever, traveling together to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs, 60 furlongs. Now that equals six miles or 10 kilometers, certainly more than a Sabbath day's journey. So they could not have taken their journey the day before. They could not travel that far on the Sabbath day. Then in Luke 24 and verse 18, we are told that one of them is Cleophas. And the one of them whose name was Cleophas answered and said unto him. And he goes on to ask the Lord some questions. So definitely one was Cleophas. Now Mary the wife of Cleophas was at the cross. Cleophas was certainly there, as he is now on his way home. Emmaus was more than a Sabbath day journey, so Mary would still have been there until the first day of the week. And I pose the question, would Cleophas walk home without his wife? Would Cleophas allow his wife to take this dangerous journey by herself? Now I want you to take note of Luke 24 and verse 29. Luke 24 and verse 29 says this. And you know the story very well. And, or sorry, but they constrained him, saying, abide with us. Here we see togetherness. And they constrained him, saying, abide with us. Two of them, two disciples of Jesus, two followers of the Lord. One was certainly Cleophas. But if the other was not his wife Mary, would they have been able to say, abide with us? If it was not their home, it would not have been their right to say so. In verse 29, it tells us that it was towards the evening and the day was far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. 
folks, I just want to say this, and we need to be careful here. If this is two men, it is leaving ourselves wide open for the homosexuals to use it to their advantage. Two men abide with us, and he was in the tarry with them because the day was far spent and towards the evening of the day. To me, there is no way that this is two men. I believe it is a husband and wife. I believe it is Cleophas and Mary. Look at 24, Luke 24 and verse 32. Luke 24 and verse 32. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us? Did not our heart, singular, burn within us? Togetherness. One single heart. Married couple. Within us. Togetherness. But wait, there's more. When we read Luke 24 and verse 33, we see that they arose. Luke 24 and verse 33 and says, And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. Now please take note. Of what's recorded. They found the eleven gathered together. So, it was not one of the apostles that was with Cleophas. As some would say, and I've heard them say it. Some would try to make out that it was Cleophas and one of the apostles. But then, in verse 34, it says, Saying the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared unto Simon. Now, please allow me, just for a moment or two, to read that from the Amplified King James Version. Luke 24, now I need you to follow along. Luke 24, verse 33 says this, And rising up that very same hour, they went back to Jerusalem, where they found the eleven apostles. Now, the Amplified Version just puts in words to explain exactly what was happening. And rising up that very same hour, they went back to Jerusalem, where they found the eleven apostles gathered together and those who were with them. Now listen. Who said, The Lord really is risen and has appeared to Simon Peter? Then verse 35, very interesting. Then they themselves, Cleophas and Mary, then they themselves related in full what had happened on the road and how he was known and recognized by them in the breaking of bread. Kind of highlights it a little bit more, doesn't it? And so, the Amplified Version, King James, it just makes it that little bit clearer. So the two on the road to Emmaus, I believe, I believe the word of God, doesn't matter what I believe, I believe the word of God teaches us that it was a married couple. But you need to compare scripture with scripture. Cleophas and his wife Mary could not have been Peter or Luke because of the grammar involved. Okay, Mary was at the cross she was preparing the spices. She would have rested on the Sabbath day as it was more than a Sabbath day's journey to their home. And she would have journeyed home with her husband, Cleophas. Now, that's the women. Now, in contrast to that of the women who actually stood at the cross, there were those who sat down and watched him there. Matthew 27 and verse 36 says this. And sitting down, they watched him there. So who are the they? Referred to in Matthew 27 and verse 36. 
Well, it was the soldiers. The soldiers. They are mentioned 17 times in the preceding few verses. Matthew 27, verses 27 to 36, the soldiers are mentioned 17 times. And they were a tough bunch of men. They were brutal. That's how they got the job. They had to be brutal. They had been able to defend themselves. They were strong, tough. And they had a job to do. And they did it to the latter. And when their business was virtually finished, they sat down and just watched him there. Now this suggests to me an attitude of apathy. The women showed sympathy. The women showed empathy because they cared and they stood at the cross of Jesus. But these brutal soldiers showed apathy because they didn't care. There was an attitude of indifference about them. It was just another day's work. They nailed the Lord to the cross. They put the cross in place. Now, I don't know if you realize what is involved there. What happens is the soldiers would get the cross and they would lay it on the ground. Then they would take the prisoner and they would stretch him out on the cross and they would kneel in our Lord's particular situation. They would nail his arms, his hands to the cross and they would nail his feet to the cross. These crosses were not nicely plain timber the way we see in many pictures. These crosses were not made with dovetailed joints. These were rough pieces of wood and they were not built for comfort folks. And the soldiers would lay the cross on the ground and they would place the prisoner, whoever it was, upon that cross and in our Lord's situation, nail him to the cross. And they would have already prepared a hole in the ground, perhaps two, three feet deep, maybe a meter deep. And they would lift that cross up and then slam it into the ground. And then the Psalms, it tells us that every bone was out of joint. I believe that's because he was just slammed into the ground and his body would have been in a mess. These soldiers were brutal and they couldn't care less. And they sat down and watched him there. And this is certainly apathy. An attitude of indifference, as I said. Just another day's work. They nailed the Lord to the cross. They put the cross in place and they went away and just watched him there. As they gambled about his garments. Then there's a third group of people mentioned in relation to the cross. Please turn to Matthew 27 and verse 39. It says, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. Okay, the first group of the women showed sympathy, empathy. The second group, the soldiers, showed apathy, apathy. And folks, the third group were demonstrating an attitude of antipathy. Antipathy. And of course, this word is not commonly used, but it literally means antagonism. It means animosity. It means hostility. So these ones that passed by were antagonistic towards our Lord. And they were hostile towards him. 
And in Matthew 27, verses 39 and 40, let's turn to that. Matthew 27, and we'll look at verses 39, uh, 39 to 44. Good that we read this. Matthew 27, verse 39. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. Didn't believe his word. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. So it tells us, how he was reviled. It tells us exactly their attitude. Antipathy. Antagonistic. Animosity. Hostility. Towards our perfect saviour. They made fun. Of what he said. They made fun of what he said in relation to the temple. And folks, I see here that this is obvious that these people had heard his teachings. They were able to make fun of what he said. But they did not believe. That's the problem. Lots of people hear, but they do not believe. They were referring to his teachings regarding himself being the temple. Destroy this temple and I will, in three days, I will raise it up. John chapter 2, verse 19. And they must have heard his teaching on that. But obviously, did not believe. Then the chief priests and the scribes and the elders in Matthew 27, verses 41 and 42, we've already read it, said sarcastically, he saved others, himself he cannot save. And folks, whenever I thought about that, I thought, well, never has a truer statement ever been made. He saved others himself. He cannot save. He saved those of his day. He saved those over the last 2,000 years. He saved those of the Old Testament by faith. And he will save those who accept him in this present time. Maybe even one or more this evening. As this goes out live streaming. As this goes into perhaps homes who have not heard the gospel in their life. Or maybe for a long time. What a blessing it would be if someone was to be saved. He saved others. Then they said, himself he cannot save. Folks, let me just say this. For this reason he came into the world. That he might go to the cross and give himself as a ransom for our sin. He did give himself. And he could not save himself. Otherwise the Old Testament scriptures could not have been fulfilled. Otherwise the types and the pictures and the shadows could not have been filled. John the Baptist says, Behold... Gaze upon, look, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. A prophecy. 1 John 3 verse 5 says, And ye know that he was manifested, or he was made known, or he was revealed to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No. Himself. He cannot save. And it was his love for us that kept him on the cross. 
Don't believe for one moment that that was held, that he was held on the cross by those cruel nails that were driven into his hands and his feet. Don't believe for one moment that these rough soldiers nailed the Savior to the cross where he could not get off. No, it was love. Love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. And folks, in these scriptures we have a picture of exactly what's happening today. There are those who love the Lord, represented by those who stood at the cross of Jesus. Sympathetic, empathetic to the cause, and prepared to stand and be counted. Those four women, as it were, or those three women, will not argue over it. Those women stood by the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ represent those who are standing with Christ today. Then there are millions all over the world who are indifferent. Let me, let me just say this. What they're saying is, let me get on with what I'm doing. Don't bother me with religion. I don't want to hear about that stuff. Just like the soldiers. They're represented in the soldiers who sat and watched, who are cold and who are indifferent. And there's millions all over the world who are cold and indifferent. And folks, we don't look down our noses upon them. We need to be out there. We need to be telling them about the love of God in these days. And then there are those, those ones, who wagged their heads and reviled him. And folks, we have no trouble seeing who they represent today. There are those who are anti-God. There are those who are evolutionists. There is the humanistic side of things. There is the so-called atheists. There are the socialists. There is the communists. There is the haters of God in our society. And all over the world, our Lord is being reviled. They're shaking their heads. They're saying, where is your God? But let me just say this. One day, every nation by and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, 10 to 11. So the cross, historically. Folks, where do you stand? Which group would you fit into? Which group would you identify with? Are you saved? Are you standing at the cross? Are you seen by others as it were taking a stand for our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you out there when people, where people can see you? They can see who you are and whom you serve? It's time to stand up for our Lord in these days. Then maybe someone who is listening in on live streaming. And you haven't given it much thought. The busyness of life has taken up your time. There are things you wanted to do. And places that you wanted to go. Let me just say this. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And by accepting Jesus Christ today, it would be your day of salvation. Then again, you might fit into uh, one of the other categories. You might think that you're an atheist or whatever. But let me say this. That's only a temporary state of mind. Because one day, whether you like it or not. One day you will have to stand before a holy God and give an account of what you have done with his son, the Christ of the cross.
I pray that the Lord may be gracious unto you and that you might yield to the prompting of his Holy Spirit and that you might be born again. Okay, so that's the cross, historically. Now we look at the cross doctrinally. Don't worry, next two points are a lot shorter than the first point. The cross historically, the cross of Jesus. Now we look at it doctrinally. And to do that, we look at the cross of Christ. Now, there are only three occasions in the New Testament that use this expression, the cross of Christ. Firstly, I'll just go through these one at a time. I'll not be long. Firstly, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 17, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. The cross of Christ is the cross doctrinally. We have looked at the cross historically, the cross of Jesus, but Paul goes on to say that it is through the preaching, that is, the content of the message of the cross, is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 18. Then in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21 it says, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Folks, there are two categories here. And ultimately, every person must fall into one or the other. You're either saved or lost. You either believe or you do not. Now this does not refer to the act of preaching, but rather to the perceived foolishness of the things preached. It's contents, if you like. Listen, folks. As far as the world is concerned, now just listen. And I say this reverently. What could be more foolish than a man who died upon a cross 2,000 years ago could be the saviour of the world. As far as the world is concerned, hey, that's foolish. And the word lies in disbelief. But praise God, by the same preaching, by the same content, And by the same uh, verses, we who believe are saved. It says, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21. It's the same preaching. It's the same content. It's from the same Bible. But some people say it's foolishness and they don't believe. And we by the foolishness of preaching are saved. Are you saved tonight? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? The second mention of the cross that Paul mentions is in Philippines 3 and verse 18. Those who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Enemies to the doctrine of the cross of Christ. He does not call them enemies of the cross of Jesus. Because many, many times they do not deny that a man called Jesus died on the cross. That is a fact. That is history. But they are opposed to the message that we preach in relation to the man on the cross. 
the perfect man who is in glory today. They oppose the doctrine of the cross of Christ and what it means. And in Galatians chapter 6 and verses 12 to 16, we'll not go there and not read that, but I'll just refer to it. We read of the third mention of the cross of Christ. We read here that they were trying to put on a first show. They were trying to be what we would call today smart Alex. They were making a display of religious zeal in the flesh. Outward things, such as circumcision. They were not concerned about the welfare, as it were, of their fellow believers or or the glory of God. They were only concerned about their own reputation, as it were. And Paul says, and I paraphrase here, he says, This ought not to be so. Folks, let me just say this. Nothing needs to be added to the message of the cross of Christ for our salvation. Baptism, baptism regeneration, speaking in tongues, using the sign gifts, or anything else that's added is not necessary. When we get saved, we are new creatures in Christ. New creatures in Christ. And the third verse we look at in relation to the cross of Christ speaks of morally. Morally. We've looked at sympathy. We've looked at empathy. We've looked at apathy. We've looked at antipathy. Now we're looking at morally. Galatians chapter 6. And verse 14. And we have the lovely title. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We just read it or mentioned it in relation to our last point. But here is the cross as it were morally speaking. Whilst men as it were, known as Judaizers, with glory in the flesh, Paul's glory was in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we consider the cross morally, there are always practical implications. Morally means to have the right or wrong behavior, spiritually speaking. As far as we are concerned, we're talking spiritually. Paul said his glory was in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians 3 and verse 13, Paul explains that we are redeemed from the curse of the law through Christ being made a curse for us. We are redeemed from the curse of the law through Christ being made a curse for us. Then in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24, Paul again used the means of the cross saying, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Then in Galatians 6 and verse 14, Paul says, the world is crucified unto me. In other words, the world is dead unto me. And he says in this verse, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Folks, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is that which crucifies the Christian to the world, but also crucifies the world to the Christian, to himself, so that there's no common ground in between them. Crucified. The flesh. The world. The law. And we know the devil as well. The cross 
of Jesus speaks of the cross historically. Sympathy, empathy, apathy, antipathy. The cross of Christ speaks of the cross doctrinally, the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the cross morally, delivered from the law, crucified the flesh, the world crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Folks, I pray that for those who listen to this message, whether live or live streaming, might consider the message of the cross. And most importantly, the man on the cross and the sacrifice made that you and I might partake of that free gift of salvation brought about by the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you do so for his name's sake. Amen. Our Father, again, we give thee thanks for thy word. We thank thee for the evening hour. We thank thee, Father, for the opportunity of opening up thy word. We do pray, Lord, that men and women may have been, as it were, uplifted in their most holy faith, that they may have been drawn closer to yourself. And, Father, I would say reverently, most of all, I pray that if there is one or more that does not know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, that they may even at this time Come to the one who was on the cross, the cross of Jesus, the cross of Christ, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we give thee thanks in all these things in our Saviour's worthy and precious name.